looking at this amazing chapter, John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, we get a little glimpse into Christ our Savior and our King praying to our great God, Jehovah the Father. The name of the message tonight is Christ prays for his people. Christ prays for his people. Tonight we'll continue our study in this wonderful chapter of the book of John chapter 17, again which is called the high priestly prayer of our great Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Open your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 17. And by God's providence, this prayer appears in the scriptures and is for our learning, beloved. Even though it was uttered 2,000 plus years ago, it's for our learning. And it gives us again a glimpse into our great King, the Lord Jesus Christ, praying to the Father. And it manifests as we read the words of this high priestly prayer. And as we see as we get further and further, it manifests the eternal love of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for those who Christ came to redeem. And no one in the, no one in the scriptures as the elect, the elect of God. Some people don't like that word, but it's a Bible word, isn't it? Amen. Me too. I thank the Lord for that too, brother, that he chose us because we never would have chosen him. Let's read John 17, verses 1 to 9. Our text will be found in John chapter 17, verse 9. But I'd like to read verses 1 to 9 to get the context. Actually, let's read verses 1 to 10. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him that being Christ, power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them and have known surely that I come out from thee and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine and thine are mine and I am glorified in them. My, what words. And that's just the first ten verses. <laughs> we still got a whole bunch more to go in this study. 
But tonight we're going to look at verse 9, a little bit into verse 10. We'll look at verse 10 a little bit more in depth next week. But tonight, verse 9. Now, who's praying this prayer? Well, from our studies, we know that it's the Lord Jesus Christ who's praying this prayer. He says, I pray for them. So he's speaking about a certain people, isn't he? I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Now, this doesn't tell us not to pray for our enemies. Because this prayer that he's praying here is a med- him praying as mediator of his people. We know from the cross he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do about his enemies. So it's not telling us not to pray for people in the world. Because we don't know who the elect are, right? But this is his, me- his, his prayer as mediator. So he's speaking about the people that God gave him specifically. And if you read this chapter with that in mind, knowing that God has a people that he chose in Christ, then the whole prayer comes together. See, this is, Norm Wells said, this is the chapter that he heard least preached on in religion. Because it just manifests the election of God, that he has a chosen people. Now for us, who are the elect, right? We rejoice in this. I'll tell you what, I can't get enough of this. I was in awe even after studying for today. Like I've been in awe the last 12 studies, or 14 studies, just in awe of what Christ has done for us. It's absolutely incredible. He says, I pray for them, meaning, well, let's back up. Let's back up a little bit. And we know, he says, now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. Verse 7, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I come out from thee, and, the, and, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Now we know the first five verses he's talking about himself. The second section, which we're in, he's talking about the apostles, but I also had brought forth in the other studies that there's por- portions where he's speaking of all the elect of all the ages which is what this verse here is about. He's not just speaking about the apostles. Look what he says. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. So he's praying for all the elect of all the ages here. Now, does that not fill your heart with joy and comfort? He prayed for us. He prayed for each of us. In this corporate prayer, he prayed for every one of us, everyone who the Father gave him. And he knows every one of us by name. Remember the, and do you know wherever before him? Wherever before him? Do you know that the high priest, when he went into the holiest hol- holy of holies, he had on the breastplate written with the names of the Israelite tribes? Well, who's the Israel of God? God's church, right? So when he enters into the presence of God, Scripture says, too, that our names are engraved in the palms of his hands. Jean-Claude said one time, that means we're ever before him. We're ever before him, beloved. Isn't that incredible? We're ever before him. 
And so the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who's speaking these words. The sent one, right? We've learned that in this study. The sent one. The Messiah. Because the Messiah was sent by God the Father to redeem a people that no man can number. The one in whom the prophets spoke of. The word of God. The eternal Son of God. Emmanuel. God with us is the one speaking these words. He's speaking these words. He has come to save all those whom the Father has given him in eternity past. And we clearly have seen that fact in this wonderful prayer so far, haven't we? He gives eternal life to all that the Father gave him. It's him. It's not the sinner. It's Christ who comes to us. Just like he went and, that, that parable he gave of the lost sheep. He went and found that sheep. That's what Christ does for every one of his people. God incarnate here. God incarnate in the flesh. The one who has all power in might. Is praying in his office as mediator here. For all who the Father gave him. And if you're one of the elect, that includes you. That includes me. Wonder of wonders. You and I who are born again by the Holy Spirit of God, this includes us. He prayed for us before he went to the cross, beloved. Again, he says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. They're his. And then look what he says. And all mine are thine. And thine are mine. And I am glorified in them. <laughs> you know, I never knew any of this before the Lord saved me. I didn't have a clue. I was groping around in the dark thinking I was okay. And here I was nothing but a lost sinner in desperate need of Christ. And because I was one of his, he rescued me. He saved me from, from my sins. And he did, he did that for every one of his people, didn't he? There was a time in your life, remember we looked at on, on uh, Sunday? There was a certain time when you heard the gospel. Ordained by God. To be right in the place where he had planned and purposed for you and I to hear it. Amazing grace. God's grace is truly amazing. Mm. Take note of again how our Lord prays for his people. Here again we see the great high priest coming into the presence of God. With the names of his people on his breastplate. Engraved on the palms of his hands. And he offered, when he offers himself up as a sacrifice for our sins, as the only atoning sacrifice for sinners by the shedding of his precious, precious blood, it is for the Israel of God. It is for the elect of God. It's for those whom the Father gave him. Think upon these precious truths as we read these words right here again. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. We were the Father's possession. We still are. We've been entrusted to Christ. I was reading uh, 
old-time preacher, and he said, when the father gives a bride, that bride is still his daughter. Even though he's giving her to another, that bride will ever be his daughter. Will always be the apple of his eye. Always. He doesn't give up being the father, does he? Oh, no. And look at that. He says, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And he's praying. He prays here for his people. And note, they're given to him. They're given to him by the Father. We're chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, but we see here that we were given to him. Precious in his eyes. Just like, Dave, you had, what, four daughters? Five? Four daughters. You gave them to, to their groom, right? You gave them to him. You walked them up the aisle and you gave them to him. My, oh my. He's given his bride to Christ, but... Isn't that amazing? What a beautiful picture. And as you love your daughters, the Father loves the people he gave to Christ. Even more and more and more so. To a level that we can't even, Brian, we were talking about that, we can't even fathom it. Our finite minds cannot fathom how much God loves us. We just can't, we, we, we hear it, and we rejoice in it, but we, we, we're just scratching the surface, beloved. But that little bit, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it glorious? Oh, my. And then the bridegroom offers himself up to purchase his eternal, his, his bride with his, with his blood, to purchase eternal salvation for them so that they can be with him forever my it's amazing Spurgeon brings forth of this verse this this just knocked my socks off that Christ loves us more fervently because we are the fathers because we're the fathers you see everything the father loves the son loves Everything the Father and Son love, the Holy Ghost loves. With the same love. But Christ loves his people more than anything in this world, beloved. He gave his life for them. And because we're the Father's first, because we were given to him by the Father, that sheds even more beauty upon us. Scripture says we're black, which means our sin, and yet calmly in the, in, in the Old Testament. That calmly is beautiful in the Hebrew. So at the same time we're black with sin, we're beautiful in Christ. Isn't that amazing? Oh my goodness. It's absolutely incredible. And because we belong to the Father, therefore the Savior pleads for us 
with all the greater earnestness at the throne of grace. He intercedes for us with a love that we can't even fathom. Because we've been given to him by the Father. And if we're precious to the Father, I'll tell you what, we're precious to the Son and we're precious to the Holy Spirit of God. Now, we, we don't see ourselves that way, do we? And this humbles us, doesn't it? It, it really humbles us. It bring, I was talking to Marcus today through text, and we were talking a little bit about this, and Marcus says, that humbles me, brother. And I said, amen. But yet, let us rejoice. Let us rejoice that we are, we are God's chosen people, not of anything in ourselves, but because the Father chose us, and it pleased him to do so. It pleased him to do so. My. So what love? What love is manifested in this little verse? What love is manifested to the people of God in these words? And marvel again at the fact that God incarnated in the flesh is praying for us over 2,000 years ago. Does he not know every one of his sheep for whom he died for? Everyone, by name, amen. By name. Remember Zacchaeus? He didn't know, as far as we know, Zacchaeus never met him. Hey, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. You're one of mine. You're one that the Father gave me. Come on down. Salvation's come to your house today. Hallelujah. Oh, my. Isn't it wonderful? And now, right now, he intercedes for you and I. Right now. Intercede. Takes our prayers and makes them acceptable to God. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. I'll tell you, don't get more wonderful than this. So what comfort then is found in these words for us, for we who are the people of God, the beloved of God? The Lord's our surety too, which means he's our guarantor. He's our surety to those who were given to him by the Father. And what did he do? He purchased eternal salvation for us, didn't he? He purchased it. And we see, in, we see here in verse 2 that he has all power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Why does he have the power to give eternal life? Because he purchased it. It's his rightfully by the shedding of his blood. My given of his life. And he just gives it to us freely. Nothing for us to do. Look and live. Look to the Savior and live. Come. Come rest in him. Oh, it's glorious. It's glorious. So he purchased eternal salvation for us by the shedding of his precious blood. And he, under, and he also, he undertook to preserve those who were given to him by this prayer. He's praying for us. He prays later on. He prays for the Father to keep us. My, oh my, for our preservation. And he has secured eternal salvation for us, guaranteed eternal salvation for all those the Father gave him by the giving of his life in the shedding of his blood at Calvary's cross. And it can't be lost. 
because it was purchased by God, wasn't it? God in the flesh. Now, if we had anything to do with it, man, we'd mess it up so much, we'd be in trouble the first, first, what, second, we'd be over. Gone, Jesse, like Donnie Bell says. But that's not so, is it? Salvation's eternal salvation. In Christ Jesus and him alone, with absolutely nothing done by us. You know, he looks upon the sheep of his pasture as belonging to the Father because they were given to him by the Father. See, again, we're still the Father's possession and we're the Son's possession. Number one, by creation, right? But also by redemption, beloved. By purchase. By purchase for his. My. The Father put him, put the Father put all those he gave to Christ in his care. Do you know we're in the care of Christ Jesus our Lord? We, we're, my. That Allstate commercial, you're in good hands. No, those ain't good hands compared to God. Perfect hands. Hands of the perfect man. Hands of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. And the Father says, of thine hand will I require them. He has a responsibility then. If we're in the hands of the Son of God, can anyone bring a charge against us? Can anyone say, well, that guy's a sinner. Well, yeah, yeah, we'd be for the first minute. Yeah, I am, but I'm saved, hallelujah, by the grace and mercy of God. And you can't change that, and I can't change that. And I wouldn't want to. Oh, my. This prayer by Christ for his people brings forth again the value in his eyes of those who the Father gave him. We're valuable in Christ's eyes. We are so valuable that he gave his life, the shedding of his blood. We know the, 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 the life, our life is in our blood, isn't it? You lose all your blood, what happens? You bleed out, you're dead. Christ shed his blood for you and I, beloved. Gave his life, willingly. He gave up the ghost, remember? Sin had no claim on him. He's a sinless, spotless lamb of God. And there he is, dying in the room and place of his people. My, oh my. What a savior. What a savior. And then you know what he's going to do? Because he's surety of his people, because he's the guarantor of his people, you know what he's going to do? He's going to gather us all together and present us as one to the Father. Blameless, faultless, spotless, clothed in his perfect righteousness. Because, all because the Father gave us to him and we are so valuable to him. Isn't that amazing? That's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. So we've clearly seen then that the one who's praying here is God incarnate in the flesh. The, the sent one of God, the Messiah, 
who was sent to save his people, which is all that the Father gave him. That's his people. It's not the whole world. He didn't die for the whole world. We see here he doesn't even pray for the whole world. But he does pray for those the Father gave him, doesn't he? Those are the ones he died for. He says, my sheep hear my voice. They follow me. And then he says, I'll give my life for the sheep. Well, that's the people he's speaking of here. He's the Messiah sent to save his people from their sins. Now let's consider who he does not pray for. It says here, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Now, again, he's speaking his role of mediator here. He's speaking in his role as mediator of God's people. And note, in that role, he does not pray for the world. He does not pray for the world. Again, as I said earlier, does that mean we shouldn't pray for our loved ones? No, absolutely. Keep praying. Pray as much as you can that if it be the Lord's will that he save them. Just keep praying. Just keep lifting them up because we don't know who his people are. He knows, but we don't. But here, this, we have to approach this specifically that he's praying for those who the Father gave him. So he's in his role, again, as mediator. There's one God between God and man, right? The man Christ Jesus. There's only one mediator between God and man. And note, why does he not then pray for the world? Why does he only pray for his people here? Well, again, he's praying as mediator, but the world hates his people. The world hated him, didn't it? And he said, marvel not if the world hate you. Yeah, it hated him before us. Right? Marvel not. And they, the world spoken of here, the unsaved world, and he's speaking of those who will not come to Christ, who's going to perish in their sins. They hate him. And they hate the church of the living God. And again, they hate him so much that the Lord prays to the Father to keep them. To keep them. What a striking contrast we have here. That our Lord makes between his church and the ungodly. Now remember, we can't lift our heads up in, in uh, pride because... We were the ungodly before the Lord saved us, and we're still sinners saved by the grace of God. We're taken out of that number. But oh my, we see here that the Lord draws a line, doesn't he? He draws a line here. He's bringing forth God's distinguishing grace right here before us. Why am I the only one in my family saved and all the others are lost? Because it's God who made me to differ. Dave, it's the same for you. Or, well, no, you have a few folks in your family who the Lord saved. But why not all the family members? Because, yeah, yeah, 
Why not our children? It's all, now we keep praying for them until they breathe their last breath. But we don't know who God's chosen and who he hasn't. But we see here, the Lord's making a distinction here. He, he, he specifically prays here for those who were given to him by the Father in, in eternity. For those he would soon go to Calvary's cross and redeem. Right? For those he would die as their substitute in their place before God's law and justice, shedding his precious blood to redeem them. Then he says of the world here, first he says, I pray for them, speaking of those who the Father gave him. Then he says here, I pray not for the world. For the world hath hated his people. Why? Because they're not of the world. We're in the world, aren't we? But we're not of this world. Beloved, we're on a pilgrimage. And as we said, Brian, every, every day, brother, we wake up every day, we're a day closer to that pilgrimage and being finished. My. Last week, Brother Newell's pilgrimage was finished. Now he's home in glory. And we rejoice for him. We, we sorrow. I saw some pictures of him, and I, 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 I had a very emotional time. I saw some pictures of him. And it just flooded back into my, my heart and soul how much I loved the man. But I would never, ever, ever want him to come back to this sin-cursed world. He's in glory, beloved. He's beholding the king face to face like we will one day by the grace of God. Oh, amen. So he says here, I don't pray for the world. He's not of the world. He's from heaven, isn't he? His people are in the world, but, but we're not of the world. So, so, if the world hated our king, we should not marvel that the world hates us. I had one fellow tell me, this whole town would be better without this church because of what I preach, the free grace of God. He said, it'd be better if that building burned down. I said, well, we just built another one, you know. <laughs> but that vehemence, and this man's a religious man. Isn't that tragic? It'd be better if, if, if the sovereign grace of God wasn't preached anymore at that place? Whoa. God forbid, amen, brother. It's the gospel. It's the one true gospel, isn't it? Oh, my. But I didn't marvel when he said it. I was just like, well, it's, I'm, I'm, I've expected that for years because I've had there, I've heard that for years. So, But I did tell him, I said, you better be careful. You better be careful speaking against God's people. You better be careful. I'll tell you what. I've seen too many times, I've seen people who speak out against God's people, against his church. Doesn't work out well for them at all. 
Not at all. And also note the personal union here between Christ and his people. Let's read verses 9 and 10 together. Look at, the, look at this personal union. And note how the Lord delights in us. This is incredible. As I was studying this, one commentator brought forth, look at, look at how the Lord delights in his people by the words that he uses. And note the personal, the, the, personal pro, the possessive pronouns that he uses here. It's incredible. Let's look at this. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Right? And all mine are thine. <laughs> Look at the possession there, right? And thine are mine. Again, more possession. And I am glorified in them. Woo! My. I'll tell you what. Isn't that wonderful? We're the Lord's, beloved. We're his. No wonder he said, no wonder, after reading that, no wonder he said, no man can pluck you from my hand, from my father's hand or my hand. No wonder he said that. We're his. We're in his hand. Bought and paid for. Secure. Oh, it just gets better and better, doesn't it? And the Lord, we see the Lord, he's delighting in this union, isn't he? Look at the words spoken here. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I'm glorified in them. He's delighting in his people here, beloved. He's delighting in the fact that they are his. In Mark, that he dwells on this precious truth. He even tells us in verse 10, or verse 9, that we're given, right? That, or for they are thine. He says, thou hast given, them, given me, for they are thine. And then look at, again, look at all these, look at all these possessive pronouns. And all are mine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I'm glorified in them. My, it's wonderful. This, I'll tell you what. The more I learn about our king and how much he loves us, the more I'm amazed the more I'm amazed. And he dwells here. We, we see him dwelling on this personal union, right? Between him and the Father and between the Father and those, he, those the Father gave him and between himself and those the Father gave him. So we, we see both the marveling that, the, that we're the Father's possession and marveling that we're the Son's possession. He delights in that fact. He delights in that, beloved. Now bring it home. He delights in me. He delights in you. My. You tell me God delights in me? If you're, if you're one those spoken of right here, yes, it's true. It's, it's absolutely true. Because this is the words of God in the flesh. These are not my words. These are the words of God in the flesh, beloved. And there, there, there's possessive pronouns going on there. It's wonderful. To show that God looks upon his people as his portion. As his portion. His possession. His property. Now you, you say that, somebody say, well, you're, you're saying you're God's property? Uh-huh. Well, that's not a very good way to say things like nowadays people say, oh, you're, that's his property or or 
they say, well, it sounds like you're a slave. I'm no slave. No. I'm a child of God. By God's grace, I'm a willing bondservant. I've had my ear bore. <laughs> right to the door. Yeah. Whew. It's true, isn't it? In our hearts, we have. And, and I, I like what one, one uh, I, think it was, um, I think it was Robert Hawker, he bought this for Note that in, in verse 10, that our Lord seems to have the seal in his hand. Like a, remember the old stamps? The old stamps. And he stamps it all over his peculiar possession. Thy, they are thine. And all mine are thine. And thine are mine. He's just stamping it, hey. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful? It's just amazing. They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my jewels. Jewels in the eyes of the Lord. Mm. Now every man and woman has something they value above all the rest of the things in this world. And here the Lord, by reiterating these words, signifies his possession and proves that he values us over anything else in this world. Over anything else. So much so that he gave his life for us. So much so that he shed his blood for us. So he's, he's not only has he spoken his love for us and our value to him, he proved it at Calvary's cross, didn't he? He proved it. And all we can say is glory be to God. And when you read this chapter on your own, take note how he dwells upon the fact that those whom the Father gave, gave him are his. And his Father has an interest in them, the Holy Spirit has an interest in them, and God the Son has an interest in them. Salvation's of the Lord, right? It's wonderful. And what an honor and a privilege to be called a child of God. What an honor and a privilege. We're nothing but unworthy sinners. That's what we are. We're nothing but unworthy sinners in our natural state, but not in Christ's eye. When we were dead in trespasses and sins, his eye was upon us. objects of his eternal love. And when the day came, the time of love, remember that baby? In Ezekiel, the time of love, he passed by us. But he didn't leave us there, did he? It was our time of love, beloved. The time when we'd hear the shepherd's voice. Oh my, now we're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. Now we're his saved sheep. We were once his lost sheep. Now we're his saved sheep. And he sought us out and saved us. And one day we'll be with him forever. 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 There will be no end to that time. No end at all. It's going to be amazing. And what do we say? Well, to God be the glory. Great things he had done, right? Oh, it's wonderful. And he prays in verse 9 here. 
He, uh, if he didn't pray for us to stand, we would, we'd be gone. We'd be gone. But rejoice, child of God, we who are robed in the perfect spotless righteousness of Christ have a union with him, all because the Father gave us to him. And note how the Lord has marked a difference between his people and the world. Let's read that verse again. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Again, he delights in his people. He makes a difference here between his people and the people of the world. And, and who's the only one who made us to differ? God the Father. God the Father. Should we then, as the people of God, not rejoice? Oh, we should rejoice, shouldn't we? Oh, we got lots to rejoice for and about. Let us rejoice this week in this wonderful fact of God's distinguishing grace. We have no merit in ourselves. No merit in ourselves for this favor. We have no merit in ourselves for this mercy. We have no merit in ourselves to be justified before God. We have no merit in ourselves to have the Lord redeem us and shed his blood purchase our eternal souls. It's all by God's grace and by God's mercy. Because it pleased him to do so. And he is the only one. God's distinguishing grace is the only one. Only one. God's the only one who's made us to differ. He is the only one. From all the world. From the world that's spoken of in this verse. Let's read it again. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. How these verses should cause us to bow in adoration to our great God and King. <coughs> what a privilege! be a child of God. What a privilege to be a subject of this wonderful prayer in the fact that we're spoken of as I pray for them which thou hast given me for they are thine. There's two, two, two subject people spoken of in this text, right? Those who the Father gave, gave him in the world. Millions are passed by and unprayed for. But what tender care and love is manifested in these words for those who belong to the little flock. It is they who are held up by him before the throne of grace right here. One of the disciples asked, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Well, we may ask, how is it that thou wilt pray for us and not for the world? Unworthy sinners that we are. There's many more accomplished people than us. There's many more people that have a more pleasing demeanor than us. There is many who put us to shame, 
daily in many ways and they are left out and we are taken taken in our finite minds even our re regenerated minds can discover no answer right all that we can say is it was the sovereign grace of the sovereign god who singled us out to be objects of his distinguishing love and grace Single us out, beloved. Because it pleased him to do so. Therefore, let our lips be filled with praise and honor and glory to our great God and King for showing us such mercy. Such mercy. Such grace. And it all comes to us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, the very one who is praying this prayer. And let us lastly consider the last question which has already been answered in this message, who is Christ praying for? Well, he's praying for all those people who God the Father gave him in eternity. That's who he's praying for. The ones who were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Those who are called in the scripture the elect of God. Which just means chosen in the Greek. And think of this too. When that sacrifice was offered in Israel, when that high priest went in with the breastplates with the names of the tribes on, did he go in for the Egyptians? Into the Holy of Holies? Did he go in for the Assyrians? The Syrians? The Greeks? Did he go in for them? No, he only went in for Israel. That's a picture of Christ only interceding for his people, which we see right here. And note, there's only two groups of people in this world. Those who are of the world and those who are in Christ. Let's read this verse one more time with that in mind. I pray for them, that being those who the Father gave him. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. So then we ask ourselves this question. Am I of the world, or by grace am I in Christ? Here are some questions for all who will hear this message. At death, it won't matter if you were rich or poor. At death, it won't matter if you owned a place to live or lived on the street. At death, it will not matter if you were educated or uneducated. None of these differences in society will matter you know why? Because death is the great leveler. All must die. It's the great leveler. And there's only one distinction that will matter. On our deathbed, that is whether we belong to the world or whether we belong to Christ. That will be the only thing that matters on our deathbed. All other things of this world will be utterly insignificant. They will not matter. They will not matter. I pray that if you do not know Christ, that he would manifest himself to you and give you grace and faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ.